Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. Today is Tuesday, November 16, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, live on the Black Star Network. 
Oklahoma mother is pleading with Governor Kevin Stitt to spare her son's life. The Virginia pastor has offered to take the condemned man's place. Julius Jones' execution is two days away. And the Republican governor still has not met with the family as they wait outside his office. The Oklahoma Black Caucus chair, who has been with the family, will tell us what is, hap what is happening in the case of Julius Jones. Black women leaders and allies lead a freedom walk and voting rally here in D.C. Our cameras were there to capture it. Also, the hate is real when it comes to Vice President Kamala Harris, Glenda Carr, the president and CEO of Higher Heights, which is focused on electing more black women to office, will explain why the media is going so hard on Harris. It is one of the hottest shows on Stars, And, of course, I'll talk with the creator of BMF, Randy Huggins, with regards to the season finale. It's also verdict watch in two cases of Wisconsin jurors deciding Kyle Rittenhouse's fate. The first white officer to be criminally charged for killing a black man is waiting for a Kansas City, Missouri judge to let him know if he will spend time in prison. It's also National Entrepreneurs Day and our Marketplace segment brought to you by Verizon will be highlighting a Dallas entrepreneur who provides posh spacious for folks looking for various events. Also, we'll talk with John Hope Bryant about an initiative he's doing with the city of Atlanta. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. What the hell has taken the governor of Oklahoma so damn long? Twice the pardon paroles board has recommended clemency in the case of Julius Jones, recommending that his sentence uh, be reduced to life in prison. But he is still sitting on death row. His execution is two days away, and Stitt has refused to actually to make a decision in the case. Now, he's met with the family of the man that uh, Jones was convicted of killing, the same case where the, the board said there are too many questions being raised. Even prominent conservatives like uh, uh, Matt Schlapp of CPAC has said that there are too, some issues with this case and that he should remove him from death row. So what is Stitt going? He also has not even met with the family of Julius Jones. They've been sitting outside of his office waiting to meet with him, including Julius Jones' mother, Madeline Davis Jones. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Please send my baby boy home. He is innocent. And please send him home. In Jesus' name. I asked you. Thank you. Now, earlier this month, Stitt had a short conversation with a local Oklahoma station. During the discussion, he mentioned he had plans to meet with the victim's family. However, the governor added he has no plans to meet with Jones's family. Joining us now is Representative Jason Lowe, who serves as the Oklahoma Black Caucus chair. Uh, Representative Lowe, glad to have you on the show. I mean, this is, is here's what I don't understand. The governor said 
not going to make a decision until there's a clemency hearing. Okay? Clemency hearing. Board votes three to one. And he's still waiting. And so you have all of this stress and the pressure. Julius Jones is sitting on death row two days away. Has Stitt talked with the Oklahoma Black Caucus? Has he talked with anyone? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here tonight. It's a very frustrating time for our community, uh, for Mrs. Jones and her family. Uh, he has not reached out to us. He has not reached out to the Jones family. Uh, we uh, attempted to have a meeting with him uh, yesterday at his office. He refused. He did uh, accept the letter uh, that we had to give him from Mrs. Jones. Uh, but he has, at this point in time, refused to meet with the Jones family. It's unfortunate he has met with the Howell family, and our heart uh, goes out to the Howell family in regards to the death of Mr. Howell. Uh, but uh, we are, Mr. Jones, uh, Julius Jones, has asserted his innocence uh, on this case from day one. From 22 years ago, he has asserted his innocence. So uh, what I don't understand is... What is taking him so long? So is he drawing this out for attention? Oh, this last-minute uh, sort of situation? I mean, here you have uh, Julius Jones, uh, you know, another day, another day, another day, now 48 hours, the stress on the family and others, when, again, his whole point was, hey, allow my parole board to do what they do. They voted twice, three to one. Yes, absolutely. They voted twice to uh, allow uh, Julius to get out with a life without, with the possibility of parole. Uh, we asked that the governor follow his board's recommendation. The board that he has appointed uh, on two occasions, uh, they have recommended Julius be released. So, so that's what we're asking for. Uh, we're hopeful that the governor is reviewing this case seriously, that the governor is doing uh, a, a hearing from both sides. Uh, I know that Julius's attorneys uh, on the federal level had an opportunity to talk to the governor. They indicated that the meeting went well. Uh, he's also talked to the prosecutors in this case. But we're hopeful that he reviews the evidence. This young man's life is on the line. He has two days before his execution date. Uh, obviously, we're prayerful. We're hopeful uh, that the governor makes the right decision in this case, uh, because this young man does not need to be executed. This young man needs to be uh, released and, and be back home with his family. Uh, yeah, it, it is just uh, just confusing uh, as to uh, you know, what is taking so long, why this governor is drawing this decision out, um, and it just, just makes no sense to us uh, at all. And so we certainly hope uh, that he is going to make this decision fairly, fairly soon. Uh, so we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, your work, that of the others as well. Representative Lowe, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Uh, folks, uh, the uh, pastor uh, of Sojourner United Church uh, of Christ uh, traveled from Charlottesville, Virginia, to make an in-person offer to Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. He wants to exchange Julius Jones's life for his if Jones faces execution. Today, because I've made an offer to Governor Stitt that if another black man is going to be killed under the guise of, of uh, capital punishment, that it could be any black man. And so I would like the governor to allow me to lie on that table and to die in place 
of Julius Jones. That is an offer similar to one I made 10 years ago when the state of Georgia was about to kill Troy Davis. But in your situation here in Oklahoma, one person holds the key to life or death for Julius Jones. The governor holds that key. We are offering the governor a choice today to allow Julius Jones to go free and I will die in his stead. If the governor will accept that offer, I believe we will see an end to capital punishment in the state of Oklahoma. Joining us, Georgia Ford Independent Journalist Mustafa Santiago Ali, former senior advisor for environmental justice at the EPA Glad to have both of you. Georgia, I, I, I just don't un understand the delay here. Uh, again, look, if you're going to make a decision, make it. If you're going to allow Julius Jones to go ahead and die, make it. Uh, but to draw this thing out, to sit here and say, oh, my board, do what you do. OK, fine. OK, they voted twice. I mean, th this, yeah. is, this, this is just nonsensical. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And Roland, the case uh, with this situation, you know, that really concerns me is when you start looking at the facts and the details and the evidence of this case, we should really be asking ourselves, why is Julia still in jail in the first place? Christopher, uh, Christopher Jordan um, is the individual who has actually admitted to more than three people that he is the one who committed this murder. And uh, if you have have that kind of evidence that's resurfaced, we should seriously be asking ourselves, why is Julius in jail? Why is the governor dragging his feet? And here, uh, nonetheless, we're watching the clock tick. He has two days before he his execution is set. Um, and, and I believe that when you look at the evidence in this case, Julius should not, he should not be in jail. Mustafa. November the 8th, 2022. That's when the governor is back up for re-election. So you have to understand the, the, the politics that often is a part of these processes. We also understand the history, uh, the disparities that exist in relationship that there are more African-Americans on death row than any other race. So we've seen these dynamics continue to play out. But when you have a parole board and others who are saying that this man should no longer be on death row, then it should be very clear. You cannot continue to move the goalpost. If you say that you're waiting for that analysis to come back to you so that you can make a decision, and everyone is saying that this gentleman does not deserve to be on death row, many are saying he does not deserve to be in prison, as was just called out, then you have to begin to unpack these other variables of why someone has not moved forward, that being the governor. Now, just to make sure, no sense whatsoever. All right, folks, going to go to break. We come back. We'll talk about the uh, March for Voting Rights here in D.C. Our cameras were there. Black women continue to press the case uh, to the U.S. Senate to act on voting rights. That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network.
Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? Your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Several civil rights groups held a freedom walk to urge lawmakers to pass the landmark Freedom to Vote Act as well as the John Lewis Act. Organizers say that they will not rest until the bills are passed. Our cameras were live today uh, as they walked in downtown D.C. One of the historic Dorothy Irene Height building. Dr. Dorothy Irene Height was many things. She was the godmother of the civil rights movement. She was the recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And she is the person who inspires us to this day as President Emerita of the National Council of Negro Women. I would say that we are delighted to have you here as our guest at 633 Pennsylvania Avenue, the only black-owned building on Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, well. But you can't be delighted about the loss and suppression of voting rights. You can't be delighted about unequal pay for black women. So it's not a day to be delighted, it's a day to act. Yeah. And we are here because we are not content to sit by the sidelines and watch as history parades by. We insist on helping to move the axis of history toward justice. How did we get here, Cora, right? Uh, how did we get here? We got here back in, uh, when the Senate decided, uh, the U.S. Senate decided that they didn't have time, at least 50 Democrats were there, and this is just fact, not partisan. You couldn't get 10 Republicans to come and allow for a discussion, let alone a vote, on protecting our voting rights. And so sisters got together and say, we got to do something. So we pulled together this thing called Black Women and Allies and had our first action on July 15th. So here we are on November 16th, yeah. but we in no ways tired. We are at a point of crossroads. We are at a point of incredible emergency and urgency when it comes to voting rights, when it comes to democracy. And we want to send a message to friends to friends and to frenemies and to foes alike today that we will not settle for the okie doke. We will not settle for lip service. We will not settle for hollow words. And we will not settle for inaction. The walk was hosted by the Black Women's Roundtable and the National Congress of Negro Women. Organizers continue to fight as states across the nation 
enact voter restriction laws. Uh, the thing here, Mustafa, that people have to understand what's going on here, you, you're already seeing Republicans in states like Wisconsin, you already saw it in Georgia, we're seeing it in Texas, we're seeing it in news places where they are passing uh, uh, gerrymandered laws. Uh, you know, Wisconsin just passed a, a bill that would pretty much guarantee 70% of all of the congressional seats in the state go to Republicans, even though Biden won the state. Uh, the same, same thing is happening in other places as well. Ari Berman uh, has been uh, tweeting about this. And the, the bills that, are, that the Democrats are pushing uh, would outlaw that type of gerrymandering. And so when you look at uh, Senators Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin and other Democrats who don't want to get rid of the filibuster, that's exactly what's happening. Check this out. Uh, he posted this. Ohio Senate passes extreme gerrymandered congressional map giving Republicans 80% of seats in the state and Trump won with 53% of the vote. Well, we all know what this is about. This is about power. This is about being able to control the purse strings, to be able to create the legislation that continues to move resources uh, into the communities that Republicans see value in, and then making sure that you can disinvest in others. And, and this is a part of a strategy that folks have been trying to implement uh, for a couple of decades at least now, actually a little bit longer than that, and we continue to play games with folks. So Cinema and Mansion, they understand the, the immediacy of this moment. And if they are not willing to stand up and do the right thing to end the filibuster or to modify the filibuster, then you are also saying that these types of activities that are happening across the country, that you sign off on them that you believe that discrimination and racism and these biases that are a part of what these folks are putting together is okay. It's okay in the 21st century for these types of actions to take place. So they have responsibility in this moment. But Roland, let's not also forget about a number of Republicans who like to label themselves as moderate Republicans, as those who are um, you know, who care about what's happening uh, in communities across the country and them also not standing up and making their voices heard. Uh, here's what's interesting, Georgia. Ari Berman also tweeted this out. Uh, this is how you want to understand. So check this out. Uh, he, he showed this particular state here, uh, 50 precincts. Uh, and you see if they are 60 percent blue, that's how they voted, 40 percent red. Well, if you, if you just do basic districts, five districts, well, you'll see blue wins five, red wins zero. Well, here's how the Republicans that went on the right, how they gerrymandered, they would sit here and basically create a deal where red would win three of those districts, blue would win two of those districts, even though it's 60% blue, 40% red. That's how, as he said, that's how you steal an election. Yeah, yeah. And I think to just outline something Mustafa said, uh, the strategy, right? This is a strategy to maintain power. And so when you look at the fact that the Republicans could not uh, get us to vote for them. They they couldn't swing the vote the way that they wanted it to. And so now they're looking at different strategies in order to produce the outcomes that they're hoping for. And Cinema and Mansion, their inaction is complicity. So what we need to be very clear about here is that if we don't get a handle on voting rights, if we don't protect our 
a right to vote and we allow to win that way, we're going to be up for some serious issues in the presidential election in 2024, because we know that Trump is going to throw his name back in the hat. And so if, if he can't get our votes, he can undo a system, he can take away our rights to vote, and he, he can win that way. But, but, but he, he, here's what's so stupid here when you listen to uh, some of this stuff, frankly, uh, from, from the White House, even from President Biden. Uh, you know, you hear people say, uh, folks like Black Voters Matter say, we can't out-organize gerrymandering. When you look at what they're doing, you can't. They are literally constructing districts, Mustafa, that you're not going to be able to win. And so they are, again, how they're utilizing the algorithm, it is to diminish the voting power of black folks and others to guarantee they win. And so they literally are on a path between Georgia, Ohio, uh, 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 Pennsylvania, Florida, Texas, they are going to guarantee they, they will win the House potentially for the next decade if Democrats don't break the filibuster and pass voting laws. This is the moment. You know, that there really is no future uh, if you are not willing to do the right thing right now. I mean, the midterms will be here before you know it. And you've got to make sure that you're doing the steps that are going to be necessary, because if you don't, there are going to be huge ripples that will go across our communities. And sometimes people don't get that. You know, here we talk about when you don't address this issue, you'll have all kinds of new judges that are going to end up being placed that have direct impacts on you. The dollars that are going to housing, the dollars that go to transportation, the dollars that go to worker training programs and all these other types of things that we often cry out and say that we need these things to make sure that our communities are stronger are all tied to your vote. So that's the reason that so many folks are coming continually to Capitol Hill to protest. And that's the reason that other people are raising their voices. But it all comes back down to the decisions that folks have made in putting certain people in positions of power. Chuck Schumer decided to give, uh, you know, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema uh, these opportunities, and they have not repaid uh, the voters and the confidence that people put in, put in them. So we now find ourselves in this moment where we have to continue to put pressure because, as you said at the beginning of this, mathematically, it'll be impossible for folks to be able to make sure that their vote actually counts because of the way that these things are being structured. Uh, Georgia, perfect example. Again, this is what Ari Berman tweeted. Uh, Georgia passed uh, a uh, gerrymandered state Senate map giving the GOP 59% of seats in the state that Biden won, 49.5. This is what he said. 100% of the population growth in the past decade in Georgia came from communities of color but the maps create no new majority um, uh, minority seats. And again, as he says, an entrenched white GOP power for the next decade. This is about maximizing, maximizing white political power.
Yeah, and as a good friend says, uh, the math ain't mathin'. There's no way to make that math add up for outcomes that are equitable for people who look like us. And so I think it's imperative that uh, we continue to organize and mobilize, that we continue to take stands at Capitol Hill, uh, because if this continues, uh, we, we're going to be out of our votes or our votes are not going to have the, the same weight as they would. And, you know, it's just sad. It, it is, it's very disappointing, the state of our nation, especially when you reflect on someone like John Lewis, who dedicated his entire career for this issue. And here we are, another generation having to fight that same fight. Um, yeah, and it's just, and, and look, you've got to ratchet the pressure up and this White House has got to do more. I mean, look, you can sit here and tout all you want, the infrastructure bill, $1.2 trillion important. You can talk about uh, this next uh, bill, uh, all you want to, that you're trying to figure out the path through reconciliation, but you're guaranteeing uh, Democrats, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, you're going to be in the minority when it comes to political power if you don't address this issue now. And then, 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 of course, Mustafa, time is also of the essence as well, because if you don't do it early enough, the courts are going to say, ah, it's too late. The primary season has already started. That's right. And they're just going to let it run. We've seen it play out before. So this is it. You know, this is game time. You're in the fourth quarter. You need to stop acting like you got plenty of time. You need to pull Joe Manchin in and cinema and have that hard conversation with them about what your expectations are. And you might say you did it before, but you need to reinforce it and to make sure that they understand the seriousness of this moment and also the ramifications of the of lack of your action or if the actions are counter to what we need to have happen in this moment. So, you know, Roland, I've often said that we have to be very careful. You got to unpack this a little bit further because these situations that people are putting in place is very apartheid-esque. I'm not saying it's apartheid, but I'm saying it's very apartheid-esque, where you have a smaller group of folks, white folks, who are trying to hoard power so that they control the narrative, that they control the destiny, and that they control a number of these other power dynamics that continue to, continue to play out. So either we're going to address this and make sure that democracy is real, and that that democracy is real for everybody, and that everybody's vote is actually going to count. Um, equally, um, or we're going to allow the, you know, the disintegration of, the, of these values that we say that we stand on. So let's see how it actually plays out. All right, folks. Uh, uh, absolutely. And look, the pressure, so the protests are going to continue. Uh, the pressure has to continue. Uh, and we really, really, folks, have no choice uh, because uh, it needs to happen. I want to see President Biden how about that summit at the White House? How about you call Cinema and Manchin down there and these other Democrats who don't want to get rid of uh, this? How about you call Republicans? How about you actually show that you care? All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to talk with uh, the leader of an organization that's dedicated to electing more black women into higher office who is not happy with the attacks on Vice President Kamala Harris. We'll explain when we talk with Glenda Heights of Higher Heights, Glenda Carl of Higher Heights next on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Don't forget to download the app on all platforms, Apple, Android, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Samsung, as well as Xbox. Also, uh, you can please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support the show and what we do. Uh, dollars, uh, cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM 
M Unfiltered. The sale is rolling at RolandSMartin.com, rolling at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. And, of course, all the folks uh, who contribute during the show, I will give you a personal shout-out today. All right, folks. Um, back in a moment. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only have oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of it. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really... Who has time for that? Let's go. Fill myself. Fill she ordered herself a ladder with Prime One Day Delivery. And she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince? Well, who cares? Prime changes everything. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, has been the subject of withering criticism, uh, scathing reports regarding her work in the White House. Now, um, insiders uh, report that uh, Harris has a poor relationship with President Joe Biden, is left out of crucial meetings, and is ignored by staffers. Well, that's what folks have been uh, putting out there. Uh, but... Vice President Harris has made several international trips, has been visible at significant uh, bill signings like yesterday's infrastructure bill. Joining us right now is Glenda Carr. She's president and CEO of Higher Heights. Glenda, have, glad to have you here. What do you make of what we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, Roland, I heard, I, I watched you last night, and so you were passionately explaining um, how the media and critics should tread lightly on the way that they're representing their perception of how Vice President um, Harris, her first 10 months in office has been. At the end of the day, this rumblings of, of tension between the vice president of office and president's office frankly, has been a discussion you've heard in other presidencies, the, you know, the, the potential tensions that may have happened in a Bush-Cheney administration and Obama Biden administration. So this one isn't par for course, but 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 something that we've heard. At the end of the day, Kamala Harris is in uncharted territory as the first woman, woman of color, and black woman to serve in this role. And I certainly do believe that she's being hired, hired, um, held to a higher standard. At the end of the day, I have no problems with having conversations with the Biden-Harris administration about policies that we want to push forward um, as, um, as a black community. We just have to check ourselves to determine, are we, you know, sitting at the intersection of criticism because of race and gender? 
You know, the thing here is that when you look at these stories, and when you look at uh, the frequency uh, by which uh, they are coming, it's, it's one after another. They tried the exact same stories when she was running for president. And it's pretty much a repeat over and over and over again. So who's actually scared of Kamala Harris? Because the stories just don't pop up. Oh, because these things are true. No, 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 no. These are planet stories. Yeah, you will actually, if you go back and look at research, research that Center for American Women in Politics, politics and uh, various other um, research entities have done is Kamala Harris has actually been the target to this type of um, media and narrative building since she was the attorney general of California. She also, there is research that points to that she is one of the top political figures in our country that have been targeted towards disinformation and misinformation that has been funded not only by interest groups here in the U.S., but frankly has been targeted by, um, by international funding to try to discredit her as a leader. At the end of the day, they're threatened by her power. Here is a black woman who has served on the local level as a prosecutor, on the statewide executive level as an attorney general, on the federal level as a U.S. Senate senator, on the national level as a vice president. And she literally, Roland, sits at the door of the Oval Office. This is not just about her as vice president, serving as vice president right now. People are threatened by the potential changing face of what are the leader of the free will, free uh, leader of the free world may look like if she chooses to run, may it be in a 2024 election cycle or a 2028 election cycle. This is about discrediting her to put roadblocks in her way if she decides to run for president. This is bigger than this moment right now. Um, absolutely, it is. But again, it was also interesting because I still have, uh, when you talk about the misinformation campaign, I still got black folks uh, who hit me on social media. Ooh, Kamala Harris threw all these black folks in jail. Okay, well, that, those, that's been factually knocked down. Uh, they continue to repeat this sort of stuff. And so all of those attacks on her, uh, they certainly made a mark. And I'm telling you right now, I keep telling people, uh, if, if, if the White House lets this go on another six months, she cannot recover from this. She cannot. It is hard to recover from this and misinformation. Um, being able to say this notion that she's not done anything, uh, re reporting coming out when she took one of the most significant foreign trips in this administration. She has been to Europe France. She's been to a, an Asia tour, a Central America tour. America is trying to rebuild their national reputation from four years of strained relationships. That is a significant role for the vice president to play, to ensure that our allies are truly ready to be in our global partnership. And that is the work. She's also the vice president, which means at the end of the day, she is here to support President 
Biden. And that's what she's done over the last 10 months. On every piece of um, priorities that have come out of the Biden-Harris administration, she's been there lobbying her former colleagues in Congress. She's been meeting with mayors from across the country. She hosted, she continues to host convenings in the White House with groups that sometimes have historically not been at the decision-making tables at the White House. She's hosted Black women leaders around voter um, voting rights. That is the work of the vice president. And certainly, like I said, we should be holding our elected officials accountable. We should be having the tough conversations, but it should be apples to apples and that we should not be fueling this discussion that she is not a prepared leader for this moment um, and that she's not, um, you know, um, holding up her ability to lead this country forward. Um, again, uh, it, it's very interesting when you keep seeing the story and they're the same story repeatedly uh, and how, uh, how it all plays out. Uh, Glenn McCart, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Georgia, uh, well, I'll start with you. Uh, and, and I keep raising this point because, again, when you hear, oh, she's disappeared, she has it, you're like, what the hell are y'all talking about? I mean, yeah. literally, if you follow her Twitter feed, she's posting where she's having meetings, you're seeing the videos, you're seeing the speeches, and here's the other deal. I'm trying to figure out when the hell was the vice president so visible? Wasn't right. nobody asking where Joe Biden when Obama was president? Wasn't right. nobody, wasn't nobody, hell, wasn't nobody asking where Mike Pence when that fool was in the Oval Office? Wasn't nobody asking uh, where Dick Cheney with Bush? So all of a sudden, it's, oh, Vice President Kamala Harris needs to be omnipresent and everywhere? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Well, you know, in fairness, I think Kamala's a lot more interesting than, than Biden, and so folks want to see her. But No, 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 no. That ain't got shit to do with interesting. No, 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 no. It is being used as a weapon. It has been oh, that, that, see, that, but again, no, forget her being interesting. Don't, ain't, well, don't nobody make, focus on the vice president. I'm trying to make light out of the matter here, Roland, but you're right. And it goes back to that strategy piece that we talked about earlier when we were breaking down the attack against voting rights. And so when you start thinking about who, who would want to invest in a smear campaign against uh, Harris, it would definitely be someone who's going to be throwing their name in the hat for the 2024 presidential election, because Harris is a strong candidate and she is doing a good job. On the other side of this issue, you know, um, where my curiosity as a journalist takes me, however, is what, what have been some of the issues that Harris has brought to Biden that maybe Biden hasn't been fully in support of. Um, and, and I think a lot back to the George Floyd Policing Act, which didn't pass. And I, I'd love to believe that Harris was a, an advocate for that. And so I'm, I'm curious, behind the veil, you know, outside of the smear campaign, outside of these allegations um, to try to make her look bad, I, I am very curious about what is the the real um, the the real workings of their relationship. Has Biden been 100 percent supportive of the issues that Harris has brought to him to move forward for the black community? Yeah, but, but here's the deal, though. OK, I, I get that. And I want to bring Misha Cross in here. But 
when Obama was president? What? Nobody's sitting there asking the same of Biden. The reality is the vice president's job is to support the president, is to offer advice and counsel privately and go where the president directs them. Oh, look, Biden, Biden disagreed with the Obama, the Obama White House uh, when it came to the contraception uh, and the Affordable Care Act uh, because of his Catholic upbringing. He was like, yo, uh, look, this is not a good way to go. What happened? They got sued with the Supreme Court. Uh, they actually lost. There were other areas where he disagreed. In fact, remember, he got involved in negotiations of one of those deals, pissed off Harry Reid to the point where he said the next bill, tell Biden he can't get involved in it. But again, the role of vice president is to do stuff quietly. Why? Because the president gets all the attention. So they're trying to use this, they're weaponizing this against Vice President Kamala Harris to portray her, Amisha, as aloof, as clueless, as uh, unable to do the job. And so, again, it's the exact same story every two to three months. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Roland. And I can't speak to everyone on this panel, but I personally served in the Obama-Biden administration. What I know about vice presidents and what I know from his experience as a vice president is that it is never your job to overshadow the president. You serve as a conduit when it comes to conversations and leading engagement in community and being sent to deliver messaging um, around specific policy arenas. You serve as someone who has a um, policy goals that are diplomatic efforts that um, assist with the president's over overall agenda, but this is very different role than Kamala Harris as a senator. So when I see some of these attacks against her and against her role as a vice president, it makes me question if the American public and if the American media actually understands what vice presidents are actually supposed to they, do. No, 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 she they are. She's not here to carve out her own agenda at all. She is here to work at the pleasure of the president. She does not have her own agenda or her own status. When you talk about criminal justice reform, she's only able to go as far as the president is able to take it. When you talk about health care, she's only able to go as far as the president is willing to take it. She does not sing from a different page. And I think that, you know, when you are to juxtapose um, BBC coverage, when you are to juxtapose newspapers from Europe or, or newspapers from the um, Northern Triangle countries, from her visits there, and the comments from leaders of both of those areas to what we see the coverage of Kamala Harris here in the United States, it is starkly different. Um, our press, be it whether it is the mainstream media on the liberal side or the mainstream media on the conservative side, have taken it upon themselves to destroy Kamala Harris. And partially, I think that the administration needs to be more full-throated in terms of how they basically, you know, th throw this out. Um, what we're seeing right now is an MSM that is trying to set up a all-out battle royale between Vice President Kamala Harris and Secretary of, Tr of the Transportation, um, Pete Buttigieg, because people see him as having a rising star and really being able to take control because of the recently passed infrastructure legislation. But I think that what we're seeing is something that Kamala Harris honestly has been going through almost her entire career, but got ratcheted up because she is the highest ranking black woman this country has ever seen. And I don't think that this pressure is going to go away anytime too soon. And it has nothing to do with her role as, as, as vice president in terms of her doing anything that she should not be doing. She is playing her part. And anyone who doesn't understand what the vice president's role is needs to go back and read our constitution. The thing here, uh, Mustafa, that I think is important is when these things happen, um, you kind of got to respond. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, the vice president's team 
is not doing a good enough job. They're not. I believe that there are moments to take advantage of. Sure, she had uh, the, you know the high-profile appearance on the View that 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 went awry. But what I'm trying to understand is how are you not doing a much better media offensive? Uh, I'll give you a perfect example when they when they had the meetings and heard the Divine Nine. Okay, that was weak coverage there. I don't understand how you didn't blanket black media uh, when that actually took place. I don't understand how they're not doing that. Sure, I'll sit here and I'll look at certain things that might be uh, on her Twitter feed, you know, and, and, and I sort of get this email, which is like this, you know, you know weekly roundup uh, of things that she, she, she does. But, you know, frankly, their outreach on that is weak as hell. And she was, I mean, let me be clear, but Senator Kamala Harris was far more aggressive in coming on this show and other outlets when she was, frankly, trying to get the nomination than she has been since getting the nomination and since winning. And so my deal to her team is, what the hell are y'all doing? Well, hopefully folks have heard you. Um, and oh, they're gonna no, no, do no, 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 no. I text them directly. Still waiting. Well, hopefully they're about to pick up the phone and make the call or hit you back. Um, because, I mean, you know, part of the game, of course, is marketing and highlighting uh, the things that folks are working on. And yes, you can do that as you are supporting the president because he has certain agenda items that he wants you to lead. So folks have to do a better job. And you also always got to come back home. You got to make sure that you're supporting uh, black media, who was so incredibly supportive as you ran. Um, but there's also these other parts that we got to call out also. You know, I've spent enough time in and around the White House to understand that if there is something that's not supposed to be discussed, then it is not going to be discussed. Um, so that means that the president has to continue to have those conversations with his inner circle about what his sets of expectations are. We also got to call out the chief of staff because the chief of staff also plays a significant role in this by making sure that folks understand that if you are caught doing these types of things, if it is literally coming out of the White House, that you will no longer have a job. And a great chief of staff can run things down and find out exactly where it came from or have a good idea uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future. We all know how incredibly talented uh, Vice President Harris is. I was blessed to be able to work with her on some pieces of legislation when she was a senator. So she's incredible when it comes to actually trying to make sure that real change is happening on the ground. So we just got to make sure that that incredibleness and all those amazing things that she's doing is actually being highlighted. Uh, again, uh, part of the deal here, when you're getting pillared in the media, um, uh, Georgia, then you kind of got to have a response. You can't go into hiding. You can't allow that to play out. And again, there should be a recalibration of whatever the hell their media plan is because clearly what you're doing ain't working. Yeah, yeah, I think you have a point there. And what I saw this morning, even from CNN, was that Harris's team tried to brush it off as though it was just gossip, that it wasn't true. Um, but uh, in terms of optics and controlling the narrative, there definitely needs to be some push for uh, controlling her narrative and, and showcasing all of the work that she's doing. My concern is that 
regardless though, what, whatever she does, and no matter how great of work she's doing, and even if she has the perfect PR team to put it all out there, she is a black woman. And so I just, I'm concerned that regardless of what she, she does, she's going to continue uh, to be pigeonholed in this place where she's criticized. Uh, because she's a woman and because she's black. I mean, we saw it happen uh, when Michelle Obama was the first lady. People always found something about her to criticize, no matter how great of work she did in that position. And so I, I kind of feel like in some cases it comes with the territory. But to your point, Roland, they're not really doing anything to try to combat it. Uh, so, uh, this is just a perfect example to me. This is a perfect example. So I, I was just going through... Of the Twitter feed of Vice President Kamala Harris. Okay, and so here's a video from September 24th of Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, and they posted this 30-second video uh, of her after she met with the President of Ghana. Watch this. We have deep and historical ties. Um, our official bilateral relationship began in 1957, but of course there are longer. Um, and longer-standing ties that connect the people of our nations. Over the years, many Americans have traveled to Ghana to remember the history of slavery and to honor their roots and understand their ancestry. And the African diaspora in the United States, including my home state of California, is significant, and our nation is stronger for it. We have deep... Okay, that, that was September 24th. I, I'm going through my email... Nothing. I, I'm just saying, if, if that's just one of those, to me, that's just one of those items that, you know, um, you might not think it's a big deal, um, but, you know, you, you might want to sit here, you know, and I guess share it with black media. Okay, matter of fact, here's another video uh, the day before, September 23rd. Uh, video dropped, and here is Vice President Kamala Harris talking with the president of Zambia. We recognize, of course, that in addition to the great ties between our people, we both share common values and a common vision of what is possible in the midst of the challenges that we all face. And today, of course, we share a commitment to democracy. And we understand and know that to strengthen democratic institutions means to respect and uphold the rule of law and to lead understanding the significance and importance of fighting for all people and their rights. We recognize, of course, that in... Okay, I'm just saying that here's the deal. The White House press corps, they're focusing on the president covering them. You have to create your own strategy when you're the vice president. And if you do that, then you're not gonna hear people saying, oh my God, she's missing in action. Amisha. Part of this, Roland, is an adaptation and adoption of um, conservative media tropes. They've been pushing where's Kamala, where's Kamala Harris for since basically she became vice president. They've created memes about it every time they don't see her on cable news, which, as you know and have talked about earlier, is not the job of the vice president. She's never going to get the same level of mainstream media attention as the president, and she shouldn't. Unless there's some major gaffe or something crazy that happens, she's typically not going to have the press corps following her every single step of the day. With that being said, I, I, I agree with you. There is 
there is a positioning that her communications team has to take, specifically even outside of the communications teams of VPs in the past, because she is being pummeled every single day by media on all sides of the political spectrum, where they're going to have to advance the work that she is doing, advance and, 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 and reorchestrate, re-illustrate to people exactly what a vice president's roles are and how she's fulfilling them. Because what we're seeing right now is a reiteration time and time again of what the right-wing media has perpetuated about Kamala Harris. Now those exact same tropes, that exact same language is being repeated and parroted by CNN. It's being parroted by, um, by the Washington Post. We're seeing it everywhere. In the beginning, a few months ago, um, after she became the nominee, we saw that it literally was basically Fox News, OAN, and the like. Now it is everybody. And to ignore it or to act like she is going to be able to rise above it without anybody ever pressing go and actually, you know, pushing a full-scale assault against it is completely ridiculous to me. Because come 2024, come, you know, whether Joe Biden decides to run again for a second term or not, at the end of the day, Kamala Harris is here to stay. And I think that when you're a heartbeat away from the presidency and you are a black woman and you are up against all of the things that she is up against, there has to be a dedicated team to ensure her safety and protection and her image out here in the public. Right now, it's basically go for what you know, I hope you survive. And that's not a place that Kamala should want to be. And it's definitely not a place that her staff should leave her. Uh, I, I, look again. I, I don't know what I don't know what the hell uh, they're doing. Yes, you, you, your vice president do, doesn't overshadow uh, the president, but there still is having uh, a smart strategy to counter uh, what this narrative is. And, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, that is not happening. So uh, I'm just sort of waiting to see uh, when. Uh, that happens, waiting to see when they're going to do that. Uh, but I'm going to say it again, and I don't care if they don't like me saying it. Um, and but but he, he, I'm just going to I'm just going to put this one here again. That that to me I think is just is 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 idiotic. This is just me, okay? And because um, I was going again, I'm going through the feed. It's, September 18th, okay? September 18th. That was uh, the day um, of the uh, Howard Hampton game. And she's a graduate of Howard University. And she threw out uh, the, the, uh, the, she did the coin toss. And this is the video that they posted on, on her feed, okay? Got it, all right? So, um, what is confusing to me, and again, this is just how I sort of think. This is just me, Mustafa. Okay. If I have a black female vice president who is a graduate of one of the schools that's playing um, in the game, and so she's there, then Probably what I'm going to do, this just wrote, probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to have her maybe, while, all, while the media was the gathered there, you know, say a few words about the importance of HBCUs, about the importance to fund these institutions, about the importance of uh, the, the, the graduates that they turn out 
uh, and, 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 and what uh, they mean to the university. Um, that, that's what I'm going to do, okay? Now, I'm not saying even have a full-blown news conference. What I am saying is you take advantage of the moment, and, and just for everybody to understand, this is just a 15, 15 look, this is the crowd that was there. I was on the field, okay? That's what you do. In fact, in fact, what I would have done, this just wrote. Because she was at the game. She stayed for the whole first half. The Howard Band paid tribute to her at halftime. What I would have done, this is just wrote. This is just me. I would have had her say a few words to the thousands in attendance, which would have been covered, which would have generated your attention, and you'd have been speaking to a critical constituency. Wasted moment. Sure, you had the photo op of her waving, but you used the moment to speak to why HBCUs matter, why we must fund them, what is important about it, and you could also talk about the historical fundraising, the, 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 the historical uh, amount of money that has been provided to HBCUs by the Biden administration and the Congress in the past 18 months. I'm just saying, to me, that's called a freebie. Yeah, it, it's definitely a missed opportunity. Um, when I was a communications director, whomever I was working for at the time, you know, there were a couple of things. You know, the first one was to speak to the issues that people care about. So there's a prime opportunity there to hit number those different items that you just raised. And the second part is to make sure that you're being humanized, that you are actually connecting with the folks and that you have the, the content so that people can see it who maybe hadn't been there. And then you continue to repeat that cycle time and time again, everywhere you go, and you continue to push out uh, that because there are going to be slow media days. There are going to be days when the president may not be in the news cycle, but she should be in the news cycle. Um, so you just got to take advantage of those opportunities. But that means that you have to have a real communication strategy that is actually connected to everyday people. And this to me, y'all, is really a no brainer. It ain't that damn hard. It's not like it's heavy lifting. I'm just saying you take advantage of it. But when you're getting hit like this here, when your when your when your approval number is at 28%, um, like I said, I need everybody listening. If you allow the perception to then become reality, you will never recover from a 28% approval number. Just saying. Going to a break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. <laughs> Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only have
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hi, I'm Gavin Houston. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore. You're not watching Roland Martin right now. Eee! Folks, uh, we do this every single day, bringing attention to cases you may not hear about. 13-year-old Jada Blackwell has been missing from Philadelphia uh, since October 10th, 2021. She is five foot two inches tall, weighs 130 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair. Anyone with information on Jada's whereabouts, please call the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-3353, 215-686-3353. All right, folks, uh, in Georgia, a medical examiner says that Amon Arbery was dead before his body even hit the ground. This is testimony from today's trial. The three white men uh, accused of killing Amon Arbery. Described the, the, the basis for the adrenaline dump and cortisol um, running through his veins as um, caused by stress. Or right? fear. Or fear. Yes. Anger. Anger, too, yes. Okay. And you have no idea what he was afraid of at that point in time, correct? Well, I, there's a man holding a shotgun out there. Right. So could have been afraid of being shot. And there was a man following him in a pickup truck. Okay. Could have been afraid of being caught. Caught? I don't understand. Do you know if Mr. Arbery was afraid of being caught? I don't. Right. You don't know what you don't know. Well, yes, I don't know what I don't know. Okay. You testified that there was nothing that could be done on scene that could save Mr. Arbery's life. Is that correct? I think that's correct, yes. The phrase you used when you talked to us in March is he was essentially dead before he hit the ground. Yes. Dr. Edmund Donahue said Arbery was hit by two of the three shotgun blasts fired at him. He said both gunshots caused severe bleeding and either wound could have killed the 25-year-old uh, the man. Jurors also saw autopsy photos that showed Arbery's white T-shirt stain entirely. They also saw close-up photos of his injuries, including several large cuts to Arbery's face from when he fell face down in the street. According to Dr. Donahue, 13 shotgun pellets exited Arbery's back and 11 more were recovered from his wounds. Now, folks, uh, tomorrow I'll be broadcasting from Brunswick, Georgia, uh, as well as on Thursday, where nearly 200 black pastors uh, will be there uh, because of one of the attorneys for one of these three white men on trial had the audacity to say that they should be barred black pastors from the courtroom, uh, not even attending the trial. Um, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr., Reverend Al Sharpton, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, and others have sat with the Arbery family. And so this uh, lawyer said, hey, keep them black pastors out. So they're going to show up in mass uh, come Thursday. They'll be uh, mobilizing tomorrow. So again, we'll be on the ground tomorrow in Brunswick, Georgia, broadcasting there. And then that news, that uh, black pastors event 
It's going to take place at 11 a.m. on Thursday, and we'll be live uh, on the Black Star Network uh, from Brunswick, Georgia, uh, to show you what take place there. Uh, and so, um, Amisha, uh, that attorney, uh, if he thought uh, that uh, he, he saw a couple of black pastors in the courtroom uh, over the last few days, he's going to see a few more on Thursday. Well, one of the things that seems to always happen is when white supremacists try to ban black people, the mobilization efforts seem to happen with the quickness. So it, it's it's interesting that that was a statement that was actually used in the courtroom and one that he stood behind because he said it more than once. But also that he actually talked about um, the the presence of black pastors being akin to the presence of mob bosses being in the room and being intrinsically a distraction and a motivator to push jurors to make a to make a hasty decision in another direction and to actually make them afraid. Um, this is very interesting just because there are literally murders in that courtroom. None of them were Jesse Jackson. So I, I feel like what we're seeing here is white supremacy on trial and people who just definitely don't want to see black organizing, don't want to see black civic engagement, don't want to see the hand of one of the strongest civil rights leaders offer support to a, in mourning, Ahmaud Arbery's mother, who let out sighs and pleas and was literally, you know, uh, crying in the courtroom today. This was the first time she as well saw some of those, some of those images. I think that at this point, there has to be something said about the fact that how many black moms does it take to have their sons taken, their sons, their daughters, whomever, taken in this type of brutal way to shed those types of tears and for white supremacy to remain in the same spot that it has always been. We have a, a defense in this case that is basically trying to take race out of the, uh, out of the cognizance of the general public. Meanwhile, that is the main reason, that is the impetus that the McMichaels and their third idiotic friend jumped in pickup trucks, grabbed a gun, and chased down an innocent black man and murdered him in the street in broad open daylight like a dog. So I, I don't think that you can remove race from this at all. I think that it is definitely one of the major factors in this case. Plus, we know from the footage that's been seen um, at the trial thus far that several people walked through that construction site. I grew up, I'm from Chicago, but I grew up in Mississippi. I walked it through a whole bunch of construction sites and construction homes. People do it, specifically young people do it. Black people, white people, brown people. And we saw that in that video footage that was shown in the courtroom. There was no chasing behind. There was no rifle loaded. There was nothing when young white kids went through that home at all. And multiple ones did it on a regular basis. They saw Ahmaud Arbery. They queued in, keyed in on Ahmaud Arbery chased this man, drove their trucks behind this man, cornered him, and shot him at point-blank range. That's sheer murder, and there's no other way we can, you know, try to argue against it. Um, it is, uh, it, look, it is, is one of the uh, trials that we are following. Uh, obviously, we get the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial as well. Uh, and uh, that particular trial has gone to um, the jury. Uh, they have uh, they have left for the day, had, did not, have not reached any verdict. Um, people have been talking about uh, Mustafa. They've been talking about uh, what happened in this trial where the judge allowed Rittenhouse to, you know, pull these slips, if you will, uh, for the 18 jurors. People found it to be very strange as well. They, 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 this entire trial, the whole Rittenhouse trial, has been strange from day one, especially with this crazy-ass judge. Yeah, it, it, bizarre would be the only word to actually be able to frame it out properly. You know, not only the judge, but uh, also, you know, some of the defense attorneys and some of the things that they've been saying and doing. 
And and just the whole situation has been sort of baffling of how you allow this to to move forward in the way that they have. And and also sort of the coddling of of Rittenhouse as well. You know, um, you know, a person who takes, uh, you know, this weapon to a protest and starts murdering people and then folks call the individuals who were there, um, you know, who are standing up for for rights, you know, calling them rioters and all these other types of things, so that you're framing them in a very negative light and lifting him up in a, in a more positive light, um, just speaks to the journey that we still have to go through uh, to find justice for individuals in our country, um, and also address, you know, the the privilege um, that uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, that that some folks still have. Georgia. In both of these trials, we have seen the system in the way in which it has been designed to uphold white supremacy and protect people like Rittenhouse and the McMichaels. And so, I mean, when you think about the caucasity you have to have in order to hunt a man down, in which they did in the case of Aubrey, or in the case of Rittenhouse, to cross state lines at the age of 17 with a gun and shoot people, you you have to uh, have a lot of confidence that you're going to be protected. And that's exactly what we've seen happen in both of these trials. Uh, When you look at the way uh, in the Rittenhouse trial that the judge has dismissed charges, uh, that has framed language that can and cannot be used to Mustafa's point, to craft a specific narrative that is more favorable for Rittenhouse, uh, you see, you know, a, a system that has been designed to look at white perpetrators as though they are truly innocent until proven guilty. But in these same systems, when people who look like us are going through uh, these systems, it's the exact opposite treatment. We're guilty until proven innocent. And so I think a lot of us in our community, we are not surprised uh, in the same way our uh, white colleagues are. But just disappointed that here we are in 2021 still having to navigate these systems that are upholding and were designed to uphold white supremacy. Uh, of course, we're also watching this case out of Kansas City, uh, where the first white Kansas City police officer uh, criminally accused of killing a black man is taking place. Officer Eric J. DeValconeer is charged with involuntary manslaughter and armed criminal action in the death of 20, uh, in death 2019 of Cameron Lamb. The officer said he shot Lamb after Lamb pointed a gun at another detective. However, uh, his partner told a grand jury he did not see Lamb with a weapon. The Valconeer waived his rights to a jury trial. A judge will determine the fate of the former officer. In June, Lamb's family filed a civil assault, civil suit against the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners. Uh, that, that's one of those that, first of all, what's interesting about that uh, is to um, uh, is to see in this case um, the partner, the partner counter what he actually had to say. You know, one of the things that we have said repeatedly, Georgia, is that in order to change what happens in these cases, they've got to change the rules and the law to make it clear to officers, if you lie to protect your partner, you could lose your job and be charged yourself. That has to be uh, in every single one of these uh, city uh, contracts. 
Absolutely. There has to be an entire overhaul of the policing culture, which has uh, broadly cultivated this notion that when you get that badge, you get a badge to kill. Uh, because this officer in his city, he's the first officer to be ever uh, charged for an on-duty shooting. Um, and so we are, I, I believe and hope, at a turning point when it comes to policing in this nation. But we still have a long ways to go uh, because this system, again, has been designed to value blue lives. And blue lives aren't even a thing uh, over the lives of black individuals. And so in this case, what we saw uh, as well, Roland, is uh, a manipulation of evidence. And we know oftentimes police departments, they have that communication strategy in place. And so they're they're to the press first. They beat the family or the victim to the press, and then they'll share that narrative with the public as though it's facts. And then you have the public opinion who uh, then now starts to believe uh, this man Cameron had a gun and he was pointing it at the officer, despite the fact that uh, the officer's partner is disputing those claims. And so we, uh, it's imperative that we continue to press for that legislation uh, that was was presented the George Floyd Policing Act ending qualified immunity and uh, really demanding that uh, this society, this post-George Floyd society, is a society that has a policing structure that produces equitable outcomes and keeps everybody in our community safe, particularly people who look like us. Um, well, absolutely. Uh, you know, Mustafa, you want to join on that? Well, the blue wall of silence has to end, you know, and if you want folks to be able to trust the police, then that means that you have to tell the truth. And I'm glad that the partner um, is actually telling the truth, because we know uh, that Brother Lamb, at least from reporting, you know, he had actually injured his left hand and supposedly the gun was left next to his left hand. So we know that there's some real serious inconsistencies. And we also know that they wouldn't even allow the emergency folks to come in for like 14 minutes or 15 minutes. So that also brings up, you know, that suspicion that something strange is going on here. So if you want folks to, to trust the police, if you want folks to honor the police, then the police have to make sure that they're actually telling the truth and they have to earn that respect. I keep saying if they lie, they should automatically lose their job, Amisha. Absolutely. And they should automatically be investigated um, in their reporting. Because as you've pointed out on this show several times, Roland, a lot of the police reports after the fact have been filled with inconsistencies and quite frankly, filled with lies. So it's, it's good when there is another officer on board who sees wrongdoing and reports said wrongdoing, and it goes against what was, what was reported by one of his pals in blue. But for those instances where there is not somebody who's standing right next to him or where there is not someone who is going to come out and report, there still always needs to be a secondary follow-up from within policing entities themselves when it comes to these reports. Because we know that in many of these cases, particularly where there has been brutality against an African-American or death of an African-American, the reports that are given from the police themselves are often, quite frankly, lies. All right, folks, hold tight one second. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about this being National Entrepreneur's Day. We'll talk with an entrepreneur in Dallas in our Marketplace segment brought to you by Verizon, who uh, is creating a unique way for people to have events 
It's an idea that some of y'all may like. Uh, so hold tight. Uh, that is next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, we'll also talk with the brother who is the creator of BMF, uh, one of the hit shows on Stars. Uh, I ran to Randy Huggins when I was at the Dave Chappelle show uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. He's like, man, look, I got to come on your show. I was like, all right, Randy, now you know I got issues because Stars ain't spending no advertising money. Uh, they keep one of them black eyeballs, but they need to go and spend some dollars. So I said, Randy, I'm going to put you on. Only because you asked me. So we'll talk to him next. Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Black on Unfiltered. Back in a moment. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. Fill myself. Fill she ordered herself a ladder with Prime One Day Delivery. And she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changes everything. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D. Jake. Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks. Uh, BMF is a real-life story that entails the rise and fall of the notorious Detroit gang known as the Black Mafia family, led by Demetrius Big Meach Flannery and his brother Terry. But here's the kicker. His son, Demetrius Flannery Jr., is actually playing Big Meach in the show. It's quickly become one of Star's top shows. Uh, and, of course, with one episode left uh, in its first season, folks are looking forward to the season finale. Uh, joining us right now, uh, first of all, before we go to uh, my guest, here's a sneak peek uh, of the season finale. Here we go. Why are we letting them go? Because we didn't bust any of them with drugs and got nothing for the DA to make a case on Lopez's murder. Then why did we pull them off the street? Because one of our own was killed. Like watching a shitty-ass toilet overflow. Thanks for the visual. I don't want any of these assholes moving so much as a nickel bag without us raining down on them. That entire area stays on lockdown until one of them comes forward. Dublin, Paul, I want you on the rec center. You got it. Okay, so what am I doing? I'm still not sure which side of the field you're playing, so until further notice, you're on desk duty.
And of course, there's a great actor, Steve Harris, uh, who uh, you, you saw there with the stare down. Joining us right now is Randy Huggins, executive producer and showrunner of BMF. Joins us uh, from Detroit. Uh, Randy, glad to have you on the show. So y'all, it is a true story. Randy, roll up on me at the Dave Chappelle show like, yo man, you gotta show a brother some love. I was like, for what? He's like, dude, BMF is my show. I was like, and I thought, I said, I was like, look, Randy, I said, I've been making it clear to these folk, you know, these networks, I'm like, I said, Lionsgate and Stars. And look, I look, I told the board member, I said, look, man, y'all doing black eyeballs. Y'all gotta be spending some advertising money. I said, so right. I'm gonna I said, I'm gonna put you on as a favor. <laughs> it's all good. So, man, so, uh, so let's talk about this here. You, 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 have, you have these real life individuals, but y'all have this disclaimer at the, at the front that a lot of stuff may not have happened, but a lot of shit, but this is a quote, <laughs> a lot of shit may did, may, may actually A lot of happen. shit did happen, so, yeah. Uh, so talk about how, how did you pull, put this show together dealing with real life characters? What was their actual involvement in the development of this show? Um, well, first of all, let me just say thank you for having me on your show. First of all, let me also say to you, uh, you were in my episode of The Quiet. You know what I mean? So that's why I came at you like that. Like, man, come on now. We took pictures together on the quad. And just so everybody know, okay, everybody, okay, people may not remember that. The quad was a show that was on BET. Uh, it was in season two. Uh, Felicia Henderson had hit me up uh, and said, hey, I want you on. And, and, and she wanted me on in season one. Yeah. But you had some folks at BET who were tripping. Yeah. Uh, and I was supposed to, I actually, Mar Brock Akil wanted me to do an appearance on Being Mary Jane, uh -huh. uh, but Stephen Hill was a hater who blocked me. Yeah, I called names. I ain't got a problem <laughs> saying it. Stephen Hill was hating, blocked me from Being Mary Jane. He blocked me from doing the game. When they fired Stephen Hill and opened the door and Felicia called, I said, Felicia, I'm already on the time during the morning show. Let's put, integrate that into the show. And also, everybody, just so y'all know, haters, I mean, that episode of season two of The Quad was the highest rated episode of that season. But, yeah, I, but that's just, I'm just saying, but go ahead. It was, it, <laughs> it was fire. Anyway, brother, it's so good to see you again. Um, and thank you for having me on my show. Much like your story where you weren't selected first, but you were selected at the right time when you came on, 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 on my episode. I felt you were the right person for that. My journey on this uh, show was very similar. Um, I remember I was working with uh, 50 Cent on Power, season three, and he came to me, and he, I was about to leave, and he says, yo, I got BMF. Now, me being from Detroit, I'm thinking he's telling me this so that I could do it, but he was just telling me he's got it. He got two other writers to do it. So I felt like you did back then. You know what I mean? And then... You know, two years went by. I went and did The Quiet. I did Rebel. And then I did Star. And then he called me back and he says, uh, hey, man, do you want to do the show? And I'm like, absolutely. I mean, I'm from Detroit. You know what I mean? I'm To tell a story about Twitter. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's like a personal affront. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. But it's all good because this is my brother. And again, things happen when they were supposed to happen. So um, the first thing he did was turn me on, to, you know, Big Meech. And, you know, I used to speak to Meech, like, every day. 
and I went to prison like three or four times to see him. But what was crazy is that when you're talking to him on the phone, it's only 10-minute phone call conversations that are being interrupted by you're speaking with someone at the Bureau of Federal Prisons. And when you go see him, you can't take a recorder and you can't take a pen or pad. So he talks to you for six hours, and I got to run to my car and, uh, you know, try to recall everything that he said. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. um, So so hold on, hold on, hold on. So you couldn't just interview him just like back and forth. No. You're talking to him through a window, and and you said in 10-minute intervals? Well, when we talk on the phone, it's in 10-minute intervals. Oh, on the phone? Yeah. In person? You get a six-hour window, but you can't have a recorder, no pen, no pad. So he tells me six hours worth of stuff, and I run to my car, and I scribble down everything I can remember. Okay, you know but, I mean? but I bet you sitting here like, okay, I didn't remember that. Okay, okay, hold up, <laughs> let me remember that. Okay, let me remember that. I, 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 I bet you were going paranoid. Okay, damn, I want to forget that one. I want yeah. to get that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was tough. But when I would, whenever I would really forget, you know, I would go back and re, uh, you know ask him again on a phone call. But that was a difficult process. And then you know, eventually he turned me on to his sister and his best friend, who helped Nicole Flannery and Roland West, who helped me spell out the story even more. And you know, during this process, he got thrown in the hole. So then I didn't have him at all. You know what I mean? But Stars is like, yeah, we need this script. We need these pages. So that's what made this whole process a little difficult. And then, but we were still able to sell it, still able to get the writer's room going. And then Terry gets out. You know what I mean? And I hadn't talked to Terry. So I had already had scripts written. And then I had to go back and get his input. So this entire process has been a labor of love. And all credit go to Meech and Terry for sticking there in there with me, helping me bring this to fruition. Wow, uh, that uh, that is quite um, uh, different there. So you talked about Terry getting out. There have been a lot of people who've been trying to get uh, Meech out. Uh, Meech out. Hundred uh, percent. Uh, but Terry got out. How did Terry get out before Meech did? I mean, he's not done with jail. He's on a compassionate release because of COVID. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, like. That's one of the interesting things about this. Like, now, we're in an interesting place with COVID. I mean, even when you talk about the making of our show, um, we shot pre-vaccination. You know what I mean? We shot this show with three Q-tips up the nose, like, three, four times a week. We shot when you can't go to no restaurants. You know what I mean? Um, Like, so, remember, it was really bad. And remember when they were letting a lot of people out of uh, prison because of compassionate release. And they may need to start doing that again, the way this thing looks like it's swinging. But, um, you know, so Terry is out, but it's not like he's free. You know what I mean? Um, And, uh, you know, we're trying to get me home as well. well, Wait, wait, but but, but he's still out. Damn sure not in. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Damn sure not in. Look, how how do you also how how do you deal with folks uh, who will say you know what here's a show that is glorifying gangsters, that's glorifying oh, criminals. So how do you answer that? Um, it absolutely is not. I mean, this show isn't a show about drug dealing. It's a show about love. It's a show about community. It's a show about brotherhood. It really is a show about family because one of the things that Big Meats told me when I first came on this project, he was like. 
most people would see what him and his brother did and think they came from a broken broken home. They didn't come from a broken home. They came from a two-parent household that was, you know, really firmly uh, backdropped in Christianity. The Bible on their front table was open on the same page every day. They just made some choices because of the economic situation in the 80s in Detroit caused them to go out and fend for themselves. So, and then I think it's also interesting for anybody that's seen the show, you know, um, we're telling the story about two guys who ultimately are still incarcerated. So it's not like we're glorifying, look where you can end up. Yes, look where you can end up. But this really is their story. You know what I mean? And it's not a documentary. It is a drama. So, you know, in a documentary, it's all about you have to get the facts straight. On a drama, my job is to entertain. You know what I mean? So I take the facts. You know what I mean? And I take the story. But here and there, if it's more entertaining for me to bend left or bend right, I have to bend left and bend right so that I could keep people jumping out of their seats. Uh, all right. I got questions uh, for my panel. Uh, let's see. Uh, first up. Uh, uh, well, well, we'll go with Mustafa since he's wearing uh, a hat that likely a lot of brothers in Detroit wore. Uh, so, uh, Mustafa, go ahead. I uh, see so you got jokes, but I'm gonna give a shout out to Freeland Street in Detroit where I spent. No doubt, time baby. There it is. There you go, rolling, um, brother. I, I'm just curious. First of all, thank you so much for the creative work that you're doing. You know, out of the series, what do you hope folks learn about the D that maybe they didn't know? I mean, first of all. Um, I'm trying to make Detroit a culture, uh, uh, make Detroit a character in this piece, the same way Los Angeles is a character in Snowfall, the same way Baltimore was a uh, character in The Wire, you know what I mean, or any other, these show, any other shows where the city is a character, because Detroit is a very underrepresented place in our country. Like, one of the interesting things about us is we have our own culture. You know what I mean? Specifically, music, and I'm not talking just about Motown and Eminem. You know what I mean? Especially in the 1980s, you have to pay homage to techno music. You know what I mean? Most people think that EDM, which is one of the largest music forms in the world, came from Europe. It absolutely did not. It came from three dudes in Detroit, the Belleville Three, uh, yeah. Juan Atkins, uh, Derek May, and Kevin Saunderson. So to be able to give them that, to give, we speak different in Detroit. We have our own language. We don't say, we don't say, hello, how are you doing? We say, what up, though? You know what I mean? We don't say, hey, I want a soda. We say, I want some pop. You know what I mean? We don't say, I want a hot dog. We say, I want a coney. So, and also, you got to recognize our fashion. You know, we don't dress like nobody else. Look, I see you with the hat right there. So, mm. and that was one of the biggest things that Meats really wanted me to uh, emphasize is the fashion. He was like, if you don't get nothing right, you have to get the fashion correct. Because we dress different, we talk different, you we walk lying. different. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. We yeah we, we yeah we know y'all them damn gators. Uh, all right, uh, Georgia. Yeah, well, first of all, my husband uh, loves the show. He's been binging the show. Um, so thank you for your work. I'm I'm curious to know if you feel like there's any parts of the show that can inform community leaders who are currently trying to combat gang violence and gun violence in the black community? Um, yeah, and I think we're going to delve a little bit more into that in season two. Um, you know, um, 
yeah, I think I think we get into that more about the police responsibility, about parents' responsibility, because we all know it takes a village to raise a kid. I mean, specifically in 1980s Detroit, when Detroit was the murder capital of the world. That's when our series is set. That's when I was coming up. That's when Meech was coming up. And that's when Terry was coming up. And what was happening was all of our, 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 our schools, all of uh, the structures that should have been supporting the community were actually falling down. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think there will be something to that uh, in our series. Uh, Amisha. What would you want the lasting impact of your series to be in terms of youth? Obviously, you're putting, you're, you're set, shedding a light on and illuminating Detroit, as you spoke of, a place that is not often highlighted in, in media, especially not in terms of series focus. What is some of the messages or what are some of the longstanding, um, longstanding things that you would like to be left in viewers' minds, you know, while they're going through this series? Um, I think... There are a couple of different things. First of all, I think there are so many similarities between like that time period in which they were going through and the time periods that we're going through now. And I think we there's some parallels that we can look at. Like at the beginning, when and not, at, at, at year one of my show, hip hop is not even really breaking through yet. When you look at hip hop now, it's the most dominant culture in the world. I mean, I remember in those days, like the 1980s, Run DMC went to the Grammys for the first time. You know what I mean? I was like, oh my God. Now you look at any award show, hip hop is dominant. If you also look at like the issue with the black family, I think there are some parallels that can be seen, um, as well as just the community structure as a whole, how things fall apart. Um, so I think ultimately those are things that we can look at that that can create more discussion. It's specifically, crack cocaine was the dominant drug there, which was destroying, you know, the black community, which, I mean, look at now with meth, how that's ravaging our country as well. So I think looking at those parallels, I think that can generate some interesting conversations with people on how we move forward from where we're at. All right, then. Well, look, uh, Randy Huggins, what time is the season finale this Sunday? It's 8 o'clock on Stars on all platforms, but I'm sure most of your audience knows and does tune in uh, at 12.01 midnight to start watching then. I, I, um, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I don't like. I, I like to actually watch. I was one of the folks who sort of started uh, the live tweeting when I did Scandal. Uh, yeah. and so I actually like to watch it when when most people watch it because I'm, yeah. because that way it's sort of a communal sort of thing versus 100%. watching it by yourself. So I, I never yeah. I, even when they send me the press uh, the press copy, I never watched that one. Uh, so I got to watch with everybody else. But uh, uh, look forward to it. Uh, I certainly appreciate it, man. It was great to see you at, at the Chappelle show. Uh, thanks for stopping me. I told you I was going to have you on. I told you I was going to have you on. Well, I appreciate right? that. So, appreciate uh, yeah, send it. Can I give a shout out? I see you got that Aggie, that, that Aggie uh, vest on. But let me give a shout out to my alma mater, Gremlin State University, representing you know what I mean? HBCU love. Oh, I see you. I see you. But y'all just fired y'all football coach today. It don't matter. It don't matter. Every now and then, you know. No, I'm to... just saying. No, because we're, we're going to be in New Orleans for the Bayou Classic. So, you know, that's the brother that man led y'all to a national title a few years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, hate, hate to see he's gone. But look, uh, uh, we're going to be in New Orleans for the Bayou Classic, Grambling Southern. Uh, I'm trying to figure out, though, you know, because the president of Grambling gave me a, a jacket, made me an honorary drum major, 
and the Southern people keep getting mad, I'm like, look, I just spoke to y'all two, three times. Y'all didn't give me no jacket. So yeah. I, 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 I might go ahead and wear that Grambling jacket to New Orleans. You know, like I said. That's, that's my guy, President Gallo. Yeah, you, you know who to represent. <laughs> yeah, but he a Kappa. He a Kappa. So, you know, I'll, 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 I'll excuse that. I'll excuse, you know. I'll excuse that. <laughs> you know, it, it's an alpha thing here. Uh, I hate, I hate. Randy, I, 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 I appreciate it. Uh, and so uh, tell them stars, people. This, yeah, I got you. You got this. Yeah, I got you. You I got, got you. this. I appreciate you having me on, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate um, it, man. Uh, good luck with the season finale. And again, y'all, they got renewed in season. Uh, they got renewed in season uh, for season two after one episode. Uh, yeah, so that's what happened. Four there. days. Four yeah, days. Yeah, it looks like our. Uh, it looks like well, and, and looks like the, the folks at. Uh, okay. Also, yeah. Let also let stars know because looks like we got knocked off of Facebook because we showed the clip of the show. They probably hit us with a copyright strike. Uh, so uh, let them know to clear us on that one. Rand, I appreciate it, man. Good luck. Uh, keep handling your business uh, and uh, turning out uh, some great shows. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll send you an idea about doing something about a crazy black media show. There so, you go. <laughs> I'm with it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All Let's right, follow up BMF with that. Huh? Let's follow up BMF with that. And you know what we should do? We should have You Can't Stop the Rain plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my brother. Talk to you. All right, Doc. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, y'all. BMF. BMF again. Season finale this Sunday on Stars. Coming up next, uh, Marketplace segment brought to you by Verizon. We'll talk with a sister uh, who is doing an innovative thing when it comes to putting on events, renting them out, creating some unique spaces. You don't want to miss this conversation next right here. Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like really loves. You know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? 
I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better costs less than you think. Folks, uh, every uh, Tuesday we have our marketplace segment where we feature black-owned businesses doing some uh, quite interesting things. Uh, we have a new sponsor for this segment. We want to give a thanks to the folks at Verizon uh, for sponsoring this. And again, this is really about uh, showcasing some amazing things uh, that uh, folks are doing. And so uh, today, I want to talk about uh, talk about it with this sister, Leyland Sawyer. She has this uh, amazing. Uh, business out of Dallas, okay, uh, where she is renting out these unique spaces for various events. I mean, they could be parties, they could be weddings, they could be anything. Uh, and um, I, I, I follow her on Instagram, and I was following what she was doing, and I said, you know what, this is interesting and different because... Uh, of how she's doing it, and somebody else may get the idea to do it where they are. She joins us right now from Dallas. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Good afternoon, good evening. God bless, depending on where you are in this blessed and beautiful world. Well, it's always good to see you, uh, see the great smile of yours. So, so let's talk about, uh, you were helping other entrepreneurs unblock their brains uh, yep. and helping them. Then all of a sudden, you're like, um, you know what? I'm going to do my, I got an idea, I'm going to do this as well. Talk, talk about that. How, how did you arrive at this concept? Uh, it, of course, it's called L-A-Y-D uh, Spaces. Uh, so how did you arrive at it? Laid Spaces stands for Live All Your Dreams. It is a vision that manifested, that I created. Basically, I was doing these really unique concepts or spaces, always looking for an opportunity to create, take pictures, as an influencer, you're always looking for like a different backdrop or something. And then people started asking me to actually rent my space out. So I was like, well, you don't have to rent it. You don't have to pay for it. You can just use it. Well, then people kept asking. So finally, I decided to turn it into a business. And it basically just grew from there very organically. Word of mouth spread pretty quickly. And then I started just finding great spaces for people to, like you said, do birthday parties, engagements, proposals, a little bit of everything, pop-up shops brand launches, and it's just grown tremendously. I'm, I'm really grateful for uh, my community and all of the amazing clients who have spread the word. Now, the reason uh, I find this to be interesting, my grandmother had a catering business. I, I worked with this since I was seven years old, so I'm sort of used to uh, events and catering and stuff along those lines. And what you did is you went after a very uh, interesting space in the marketplace where we talk about events. I mean, it's, it's typically, well, rent an Airbnb, uh, mm -hmm. rent uh, the back, the large room in a restaurant, or do it at a hotel. But, mm -hmm. but in those, and those prices are, you know, are so unwieldy for some people. So you said, hmm, I got a different idea. It was actually birthed out of my loft in Los Angeles. So I started it there and then people wanted, started wanting to do like office parties and gatherings and intimate dinners. 
And much like you said, you have the opportunity to pay a restaurant, you know, thousands of dollars in order to hit a minimum, or you could come to my location and spend a couple hundred dollars an hour. And the unique thing that I did is I quickly understood that people want a one-stop shop. So I have vendors and people in-house where they can do your balloon decor. We're able to do your table decor. We can actually coordinate the whole event. I have chefs, some of Dallas's top chefs, DJs. So everything literally is under one roof, which makes it extremely convenient for the client who's throwing her husband the 50th birthday. I had a client this weekend who's like, I have no idea where to begin. I was able to come in and bring all my vendors together under one roof and bring her vision to life. And he was blown away. And uh, speaking of that, uh, I, when I was visiting, I was in Dallas area giving a speech at the University of Texas at Arlington. Uh, and I stayed the weekend and I stopped by your place. And actually, uh, and so th this was one of the events. Y'all go to my iPad, please. Uh, please go to my iPad right now. Thank you. And so this was uh, one of the events. And uh, you had this chef who put together uh, this very unique um, uh, menu based upon the life of, of this uh, this woman. And then, of course, uh, folks, you had, you had the open there. You had the food there. Uh, and again, yep. the thing the thing for for people out there, your customers, you know, again, they're looking for they're looking for places that can fit their budget that's that's not unwieldy and again you're looking at different so you what that you have two places in dallas now i do yes i have two places ranging anywhere from 10 or 15 people to 30 or 35 and it's really just a niche i don't need to serve everyone i want to create an intimate environment for you somewhere that doesn't seem too large you know when you're in a big banquet hall it's a it's a space or a location that's too large where with mine it's very intimate and in this in this experience, he actually uh, was holding an experience for a young lady, and he was giving her whole life story through food. So Rufari experiences, he created an evening where each course actually talked about her life. And then he came out and he shared her experience and how it applied to the meal, and then he paired it with a drink. It was absolutely incredible, honestly. How, how many events are you doing? First of all, are you six days a week, seven days a week? How many, how many events are you doing per month? Well, the really unique thing about my venue is that we also can do documentaries, photo shoots. We had uh, the Perot Museum do a meeting here. So during the week, it's very intimate. If we do something during the day, it's 10, 12, maybe four or five people, depending on the event. And then on the weekends, it's usually a Friday night, sometimes one to two events on a Saturday. And then people like to do that Sunday brunch for their birthday. That's a very popular or typical theme for my guests. So on average, anywhere from uh, two to four, two to five. And did you realize you're going to be this busy? I did not. And actually, in the pandemic, I was more busy than anything. People were just looking for a place to come together because all of a sudden there were all these restrictions with COVID and all these limitations. And with us, we gave them a safe space because after each booking, we do a full clean, wipe, disinfect, sweep, mop of all the high touch areas. And so thank God we haven't we've never had a situation occur and it gave people a safe place to still come together and still be able to create experiences. Uh, questions from my panel. First up, uh, Amisha Cross. 
Absolutely. I, I love that your location is built for this the, the more micro crowd. Uh, my question relates to, we are obviously in a pandemic setting. Have you seen growth specifically around micro weddings or smaller events just with that with that backdrop in mind, but also, you know, this this style of um, of organizing that you represent kind of getting a lot more attention these days. Absolutely. People don't have that big budget. Obviously, income has been cut and different things have taken place. And so now people are the biggest thing I get is I'm looking for an intimate place to host this, but I don't have a big budget. That's the number one conversation that I have with people. So especially with the micro weddings. I was so busy. People were, I had a young lady who did like a wedding of like six people. She's like, I just need a place with beautiful pictures with my mom and dad, my husband to be, and ended up creating this beautiful experience. So it is extremely popular and it is very much growing. Mustafa. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. I'm curious. What's the most, what's the most unique event that you've done to date? That's really memorable. Probably that Rufari experience. Honestly, I was blown away. And a lot of people don't understand with my events, I'm here pretty much every event. So I get to meet a, a diverse group of people. But I actually pitch in. I put on my gloves. I'm like, what do you need help with? And most chefs are like, what? Wait, you're the owner. Why are you helping me? And so I get to learn. Like, I, I roll my sleeves up. But with that experience, I've never seen someone actually tell a story with food where he researched her whole life and then presented it as her birthday gift to her group of friends. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, Georgia. As a businesswoman, what would you say is the most valuable lesson you've learned about business? Processes, systems, and protecting yourselves. Because with events, and as she stated, in a pandemic, Things do happen, and so you have to make sure that you have systems and processes and things in place in case someone does reschedule or in case, heaven forbid, a death comes up or things of that nature that are not only fair for you and the customer but also protect you as a business owner because, obviously, if that date is booked and the client cancels or is unable to make it, in a short period of time, it's very difficult for you to replace that booking and so, therefore, you're out of money. And so it just created a lot of opportunity for me to really focus on, on my systems and my processes and how I, I run the back end of the business. All right, last question I have for you, uh, Leilin, and that is you got two stop spots there in uh, Dallas. How are you looking to expand? What are you, five years from now, what do you want this to look like? So actually what I do is I teach people, I'm also in property management. So I actually take your Airbnb and I give you the ability to do both the events as well as your Airbnb. So if anyone's interested in me managing their event venue or managing their Airbnb or both, I'm doing this in multiple cities. So I'm now taking on clients in Los Angeles. I have properties in Houston as well as Dallas. And so it is quickly expanding once again by word of mouth. And so that's where I see myself, just giving people the ability for multi-use and multi-purpose for their spaces. All right. Uh, well, folks in the chat are asking, how do they reach you? You can reach me on Instagram at Laylin, L-A-Y-L-L-E-N, or at latespaces.com, L-A-Y-D spaces.com. 
All right, then. Uh, looks like I think Georgia is uh, uh, following you right now. She's on her phone. Awesome. I see I see you, Georgia. I see you. All right. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot for joining us uh, on the Marketplace uh, brought to you by you're Verizon. Welcome. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. All right. Take care. All right, okay. folks. Uh, again, uh, every Tuesday we have uh, this segment. And, and again, our goal is to provide a platform for Black-owned businesses to not just talk about their business, but also spur many of you who want to be an entrepreneur. Today is also National Entrepreneur's Day. Uh, and it's important uh, that, that, we, that we talk about that because the reality is when we, when we think about, uh, there are many of us uh, who, let's just be perfectly honest, we've grown up in our families People say, get a good job, get a good job, as opposed to creating jobs. Or as I always say, uh, don't, I don't want someone to give me a check. I want to be the person who is endorsing the check. Uh, and so and on this National Entrepreneur's Day, one of the things that, that I think is critically important, Amisha, is that 95% of black-owned businesses do less than $5 million in revenue. When you talk about this is pre-COVID. There were 2.6 million black-owned businesses in America. 2.5 million had one employee. And so the reality is, so, so, so to hear that, to think that only 100,000 of our businesses um, have more than one employee, and we talk about average revenue, the average revenue of black-owned businesses, this is pre-COVID again, was $54,000 a year. And so part of the reason to have this segment, and again, we appreciate Verizon for stepping up and becoming a uh, sponsor of this, is to begin to get people to think differently uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship. And the point that Leilene said there, and that is system and processes, it's not just because you have a great idea, you still have to execute. Absolutely correct. And they think that those numbers are extremely important. And if we drill it down even further, we look at the fact that the majority of businesses owned in the black community are owned by, by black women. And of those black women, the majority make $35,000 a year off of those businesses. So they're businesses that are largely supported by whatever that female's full-time job is outside of her entrepreneurial venture. With that being said, I think that it's extremely important to highlight and uplift our entrepreneurs who have discovered that uh, secret sauce to making things work, but have also expanded their businesses and have found ways, even throughout this pandemic, to meet the needs of a changing economy and a changing society, specifically as it relates to people getting a little closer to the to the purse in terms of holding on to the coins that they do have, but also meeting the needs as it relates to um, our pandemic response. Black consumers, consumers in general, but black consumers specifically, are spending money differently today than they did pre-pandemic. Um, there's less money to go around. We know that inflation matters. We know that you know having your your children at home and not being able to support the the cost of childcare assistance and things like that matter. We know that there are several people who are quite frankly underemployed or unemployed right now. And understanding just what it takes to not only be an entrepreneur, but having the entrepreneurs like you highlight here who kind of give steps towards not only how they, they got to what they were doing, but also provide insights for people who might be thinking about going down that similar path and telling them the good, the bad, and the ugly along the way. Because we also have to be real. Entrepreneurship is not easy. It's not just about being your own boss and having nobody to report to. It's also about investment. It's also about knowing how to how to hire. It's about knowing how to have a plan of action that actually makes sense for the consumers you're seeking. And I think that a lot of those things are often highlighted by the people that you um, so skillfully choose to have these conversations. Um, Mustafa, uh, when, it's very interesting when um, 
when I talk about the importance of supporting black owned businesses when it comes to advertising and those in media, when we talk about government contracts, when we talk about state, federal level, state level, city level uh, as well, all of that is about creating opportunities. And then when we, and when, we, when we are building capacity, because see, it's one thing to talk about the businesses, people starting businesses. And people have gotten mad at me when I said, I'm not going to have a conversation how, oh, we need to start more black businesses. I said, part of the problem is we've started a lot of black businesses, but they're still small. They're still one person. No, we need to be building capacity where it's five, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 employees. And now you're having not only an economic impact because you're providing jobs, but you're also transforming communities as a result. Yeah. And you're also building generational wealth. You know, if we want to address this wealth divide that exists inside of our country, then this is a part of the equation of you as an entrepreneur being able to not only start your business, as we talked about, but expanding it and being able to take advantage of, you know, we got trillions of dollars that are going to flow through these infrastructure bills and all the contracting and subcontracting that's going to be a part of that. If you have an established business and you have a strong business plan and the right access, you can actually grow your business out in this moment, whether we're talking about on the media side or we're talking on the product side or whatever it might be. This is the moment for our folks to get extremely focused and to make sure that they're building strong foundations underneath of their businesses. That all may also mean that two folks may come together with their businesses to actually grow it out and have the capacity that's necessary. Each and every one of us will have to make decisions about how we want to do that. But if we're serious about building generational wealth and actually building stronger foundations underneath of our communities, then we have to act. Georgia? You know, the one thing that I would like to point out, I think uh, Misha brings up a great point about needing um, people who are skilled and specialized in their areas in order for you to scale your business. But in order to do that, you you need investment. And so when you look at the statistics, I think less than 3% of capital um, investment is going to black women-owned businesses. How how are our businesses supposed to scale yeah, the, and grow? Uh, Georgia, and that, that, that ain't just black women-owned businesses. That's, black businesses. That's black business, period. <laughs> period. And so it gets even less when you look at uh, black women-owned businesses. Uh, but how are we supposed to scale? How are we supposed to hire those experts so that we can delegate HR, and we can delegate accounting, we can delegate communications and really focus on visioning as founders and uh, maximizing profitability? Uh, we need those investment dollars. And so I think that, you know, when I think about business and how black businesses have been stagnant, you, you, the elephant in the room is the lack of capital investment. Uh, these corporations, these investors, they are willing to take a chance on white-owned companies, and they're just not willing to take that same chance. And outside of the investment world, you can look even at um, the lending aspect of this. If you're a small business, you're looking to scale, you want to delegate out, and you want to hire employees, you can't get the investors, then go get a loan. But 
but the same um, discriminatory practices are embedded in the banking industry as well. A report just came out here in uh, Minnesota that um, black families are three times more likely to be declined uh, for a loan, even when their debt-to-income ratio is the same as white uh, counterparts, their income and their credit score is the same. And so um, economic justice is a real thing, and it's not just because uh, businesses don't have good ideas. It's not just because, oh, we're not working. All of these stereotypes that get thrown out there about Black-owned businesses, some of it is the actual system. Got it. Well, and, and here's the piece. When we talk about investment, investment can come in many forms. One of the things that we have seen, and we feature folks on here, they're individuals who are utilizing the crowdfunding platforms uh, to do that, going outside the, tr tr the traditional platforms. That's what Isaac Hayes III did with Fanbase, raising $3.5 million via crowdsourcing. What you also have when you talk about invest investment, it's also, I mean, look, when you talk about, when we talk about advertising dollars, I mean, look, um, it, when you have folks who are providing the advertising dollars, then we then don't have to go out and sell half of the company and giving away equity uh, to be able to raise money as well. And so, so part of the reason for this segment is to teach people what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to be in business, and there's no one way of doing it. And I think, unfortunately, uh, when we hear the phrase, when you don't know, you don't know, that uh, absolutely applies. And so uh, that's it for us on the, for the Marketplace segment. Let me thank our panel, uh, Georgia, Amisha, as well as Mustafa. Thank you so very much, folks. I'll be back with uh, final thoughts here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? Hi, I'm B.B. Winans. Hi, I'm Kim Burrell. Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey, everybody, this is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered, and while he's doing Unfiltered, I'm practicing the wobble. All right, folks, as I said earlier, uh, we're going to be on the road tomorrow broadcasting live from Brunswick, Georgia. That's where the, uh, the trial is happening of the three uh, white men uh, who uh, are on trial for killing Ahmaud Arbery. And so uh, the Robomobile is going to be hitting the road. Uh, and so we will be there. Uh, and so uh, we'll hit uh, we'll hit uh, the road uh, probably uh, around one o'clock. We'll be live tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern uh, from uh, Brunswick, Georgia. And then, of course, uh, we are going to then uh, hit the road, uh, be there on Thursday as well. And again, of course, it is on Thursday, folks. It is on Thursday uh, that uh, more than 200 passes have already signed up uh, to uh, hold a vigil on the courthouse steps on 
Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern. We will be live streaming that particular event. Uh, and so uh, we look forward to that. And so you want to stay tuned. And, and one of the other reasons why we want you to stay tuned uh, and why also we want you to download our Black Star Network app because it's just what happened today on Facebook. So many of you who are watching on Facebook, uh, what happens is when we are live on the show, uh, we will play, we, we can play a video clip, we can play something like that. Well, somebody may automatically do, it's just by the algorithm, they'll, they'll put, they'll do a, a, a strike. And so what happens is on Facebook, when you get a strike, they will stop your live broadcast. Uh, and so that's what happened. We were live on Facebook, then all of a sudden, we played that clip from Stars, uh, so probably their algorithm of Lionsgate or someone, uh, of course, said, oh, this is our content. They immediately stop you. That's why you got to get uh, the Black Star Network app, because no one can put a strike on, on our video that, that, that we play there. And so we want you to download it. Uh, we have exceeded 20,000 downloads. Our goal by December 31st is to hit 50,000 downloads on the app. And so if you were one of our folks who watched on Facebook, and I mean, I'll say this as well, uh, Facebook, they've been screwing with us. Uh, and I've notified them of this. A lot of you who watch us on Facebook, perfect example, uh, I've got 1.3 million people who follow me on Facebook. Today, the most people we had watching on Facebook was 261. When we started this show, we used to have two and three and 4,000 people watching live uh, on Facebook. And we know for a fact that they are limiting Listen to me clearly. They are limiting uh, who receives our live notifications. Uh, in fact, uh, what happens is, y'all, our digital uh, uh, director, Keenan White, he doesn't get the notification and he presses the button when we go live. Three years ago, we notified Facebook. We, was, we were told then it was a glitch in their system. Two months ago, we notified them of the same problem. We were told that was a glitch in the system. No, what they're doing is they're trying to force us to actually pay to boost, pay for ads, to boost to our own followers who already follow us, who already, uh, uh, who already have signed up for live notifications. And so, all my Facebook people, hey, here's the deal. Y'all wanna watch our show, go to the Black Star Network app, download it, iPhone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox, uh, as well as Samsung Smart TV. And again, please support us as well, folks. The app is not, uh, look, you sign up for free. I'm not charging any of you uh, uh, for no monthly subscription fee, but I do want you to understand the app cost us $160,000 a year. Let me say it again. The app cost us $160,000 a year. So when you join our Bring the Funk fan club, when we ask for 20,000 of our fans to contribute a minimum of 50 bucks each, that's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day to support what we do, that's what your money is going to. It's going to, give me a shot, it's going to the control room. Uh, the people who are sitting in there right now, our employees in there, it's going to uh, director, producer, booker, folks who are running the video playback and audio. And so we, just, we talk about a black-owned business, that is exactly what this is. Uh, and so really, we're doing, we're doing the parade wave, Carol, really? Really, is that what we're doing? 
that was trifling. That was really trifling. All right, y'all. And so, again, uh, so when you support us, when you give via Cash App, uh, Zelle, Venmo, and PayPal, this is what you're supporting. Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollinsmartin.com. Rolling at rollinmartinunfiltered.com. And so, there you go. Thanks a lot, folks. I will see you tomorrow from Brunswick, Georgia. favorite song again. Okay. Time to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with Roland all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a Black man. <laughs> Own the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Wow. Roland was amazing on that. Stay black. I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig? Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This 
is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.